You know, New Year's is one of my favorite times because one of the things that comes out at New Year's is the what's in and what's out list. You know what I'm talking about? It's the list that comes out where someone writes down what's trending out in culture for the new year, 2020, and then they list a bunch of things that are trending in for 2020. And so what I did is I asked some of our younger staff, some of our media team, our folks who work with our students in Timberline Student Ministries, college 20s and 30s, I said, hey, what's trending out in 2020? What's trending in? And I thought we'd have kind of a cultural moment, if you were a little pop culture moment, if it's okay with you. So this is some of the lists that they gave me. So I'll give you the category, then I'll give you what's out in 2020, and then I'll tell you what's in. Movies this year, out the Avengers, in Star Wars. It's all Star Wars. Yes, I got a yes up here. Social media, Instagram is out. TikTok is in. I know most of you will have to look at that up. Some of you are still holding on to your MySpace account. <laughs> Footwear. Footwear, men's footwear. This is actually a category Hillary Kaufman uh, put in here. Converse and Vans are out. Dad shoes are in. That's right. That's All right, dads, this is your moment, right? Just look at the shoes you have on right now. Turn towards your family and go, so in right now. So in. Television, watching television, how we watch it, watching television on cable, so out in 2020. In for 2020, your neighbor's Netflix login and password is how you watch TV. <laughs> Iconic characters, American characters in entertainment. Kermit the Frog, out. <gasps> it's so sad. I got booed. I didn't think to anticipate that. In Baby Yoda. Have you seen... <laughs> Cheers for baby Yoda. See, this is what's happening. He had 2.2 million tweets in just a couple days, almost shut down the internet. I did some calculations. He has 1,100 times more tweets than I do friends on Facebook. It's a little humbling. All right? Food. This is from Justin Matthews. Out for 2020, delicious food. In for 2020, gluten-free food. A couple for Timberline Church. Out monocolored maroon chairs with no seat cushion. <laughs> oh, you'll clap for this one. In hypoallergenic fair trade sustainable multicolored chairs with seat cushions for your seating comfort. All right, this one's a little, maybe the most important one. Pastoral hairstyles at Timberline Church. You ready? Out this year is the Gordon Ramsay. That's Pastor Tim Heiss, our student ministry pastor right there. In for 2020, just soak this in, the Bruce Willis. Yeah, baby, in for 2020. All right, that was a little self-serving. But who's kidding anyone? We'd all kill for Pastor Donnie's hair, the Elvis. Hey, one last one we're going to do. We're going to let you participate. And if you open up your Timberline app right now, you can vote which pastors are in and which pastors are out for 2020. No, we are not doing that, okay? Some of you were a little too eager. I saw you grabbing for your phones. You were like, I've been waiting for this all my life right here. 
All of this got me thinking, what do you think Jesus would say would make his in or out list for us in 2020 at Timberline Church? What would make his in or out list for us in the new year? So I took a run at it. So let's take a look at what Jesus might say is in for 2020 and out for 2020. We'll start with what's out in Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26. We'll start here. And this is part of the teaching, Jesus' most famous teaching, called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 21. You've heard it, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. He's insinuating the same type of judgment. He's talking about the sixth commandment in Exodus 20, thou shalt not murder. Well, in case we didn't get the first part, he says again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, note the exclamation mark, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Well, you're probably thinking, well, thanks, Bob. That's a cheery way to start off a Sunday. And if you want to blame anyone, blame Pastor Brent Cunningham because he asked me to teach in the Ten Commandments series on Wednesday night, and this was part of my studying. And this verse here, has been significant, transformational. It just won't let go of me in this season of my life. See, when I first read this passage, I thought that it meant that Christians shouldn't ever get angry. And that was a problem for me back then, and it's a problem for me sometimes today because I get angry. I've struggled with anger. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that Christians shouldn't get angry because, let's face it, there's a lot of things going on in the world, going on around us that are legitimately things we could, should, and, and can get angry about. But Jesus himself even got angry, didn't he? There was that time he started flipping over tables in the market and he took some rope and wielded it together and started chasing people off. There was a time when he called a bunch of religious, serious religious legalists, a bunch of snakes, a brood of vipers. And he even said to one of his best friends, he called him Satan. And he said, get away from me. Even Jesus had anger at times. But Jesus is talking about a specific type of anger here. The Greek is actually more precise. And the Greek word here means carried anger. It means the kind of anger that we might carry around about another person. It's a seething, simmering bitterness against someone. We might say it's holding a grudge against someone. And it's not just as a point of reference for us to make sure we're clear on this. It's, it's not the kind of anger that some of my friends who have survived abuse, neglect, or trauma, or violence, it's not the anger that they work through on their journey of healing, or maybe somebody who's in grief and they're moving through that phase of anger. He's talking about the kind of anger when somebody offends us and we pick it up and we carry it around in us. 
So in your notes, out for 2020, I think Jesus would say out for 2020 is carried anger. Now, the intensity of the way he's talking, lumping in this carried anger with murder, it ought to jump out at us off the pages. It serves as a warning that the consequences of this anger might actually be significant. But I think it's more than a warning. I think Jesus is calling his people, his community, the church, to handle anger, this type of anger, differently than the rest of the world handles it. Jesus is calling us to a deeper life, a better way of living, a place that's a different, a way of living that's different than the world. He's raising the standard. See, the world's standard is the minimum. It's do not murder. Most of us in this room probably can check that box off, right? But Jesus is say, saying, in my kingdom, my way, the standard is higher. It's forgiveness. It's reconciliation. Well, Jesus describes how this kind of anger, if we carry it around, plays out. He says it looks something like this in verse 22. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And really, it should say Supreme Court, the highest court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Raka is a Hebrew term of contempt, disdain for a person. It's like saying, you waste of space. You're worthless. You'll never change. You're beyond help. And you fool is like saying, you idiot, you're stupid. And we all know we don't have to actually say those things for us to be carrying anger and for that be, to be playing out, don't we? And it's not always like, it's not always directed towards an individual, is it? It's not always just that person. Sometimes it's those people. You know who I'm talking about, right? You know those people. Those people are stupid. How can they believe that? Why do they do that? I think this could be a pretty challenging teaching for us in 2020, with it being an election year from at least what I see going on around us. Here's why this is such a big deal to Jesus. That person, those people, they're his people. They're created in his image just like you and me. They're fearfully and wonderfully made, as they say in Psalm 139. They're imbued with dignity. They're children of the king. Jesus pursues them and loves them and died for them just like he did for you and for me. And not one of them is beyond his reach or his desire to reach them. And they shouldn't be beyond ours. Years ago, I led a Young Life Club at the high school just a couple blocks away, Fort Collins High School. And we'd been walking with a group of students for a few years. And we wanted to take them for an adventure, one last trip their senior year of high school. And so we went on a backcountry backpacking adventure into the wilderness of Colorado. On the third day of our trip, we summited Mount Meeker, which is the 13,000-foot peak that stands right next to Long's Peak. We were on our trail. We hadn't seen anybody for three days, and we left our packs by the trail because we wanted to go up quick and fast and light up to the summit. 
And as we were going up, we saw another group coming down, and it was Rocky Mountain's Young Life students doing the same trip, and they were going actually the opposite way around the loop we were on. We waved at them on the way up, and it was so beautiful, we lost track of time, and the afternoon thunderstorms rolled in on us. And it got to be a really dangerous situation because we were above tree line, and you don't want to get caught in the thunderstorm above tree line. So we hurried down from the peak, we grabbed our packs, we threw them on as quick as we could, we buckled up, and we started down the trail. We were going down and we got to these switchbacks that took us down a steep part of the mountain and lightning and thunder was all around us. One of our group, actually the strongest hiker, the best athlete in our group, a guy named Landon, was really lagging behind. I stayed back, a guide stayed back, and the rest of the group went on because he was struggling. His breathing was labored. Something wasn't right. He was stumbling. He was losing his balance. We got down, Landon and the two of us got down just in the nick of time. We took our packs off and we started unloading them to get our tents out to get shelter. And as we were doing that behind me, I heard this sound. It was like, whoomph. The ground vibrated underneath my feet. I thought Landon had collapsed to the ground because of the way he was acting. I whipped around, and Landon is right in my face. It's red with anger. There's a vein pulsating on his forehead. I mean, guys, you know what this is like. And he's like, did you do this? And he pointed down to the ground. And next to his pack was a 30-pound rock that had somebody had put in his pack. And that was the whoomph I heard. And I looked at him and I said, Landon, I did not do that. But I wish I had because that is awesome. That's the best prank I've ever seen. See, the Rocky Mountain crew had found this pack and put this rock in it. And he didn't know until he got to the bottom of the hill. I share that because I think life is a little bit like a backpacking adventure. It carries its own weight. The good stuff, the hard stuff, it all has weight to it. And you know what I'm talking about. Just life, relationships, marriage, career, finances, children's, singleness, all the things that make up life, grief, loss of a job, all these things carry a certain wake, and each day we wake up, we throw on our packs, we begin to hike this adventure of life. And in 2020, I think Jesus would say to us, let's not la add any weight. In 2020, let's travel light and fast. And when we carry anger towards someone, we load our packs and it makes it heavier. It makes life harder. It makes it exhausting. And we stumble along like my friend. Right before this teaching we're looking at, Jesus says to his disciples, to his listeners, to us, the church, he says, you are the light of the world. At Christmas 
Eve, we said, you are the light of the world. Jesus says to us as disciples, you are the light of the world. You're the shine light. But when we're carrying this kind of anger towards people, it snuffs it out. Because it's hard to love people when you're angry. Now, fortunately, Jesus gives us a prescription. It's a two-part prescription. And here's the first part. Verse 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come offer your, your gift. What Jesus is talking about here is worship, our devotionals, our times of prayer, our times when we're together at church. And when we're worshiping, Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit might remind you that you've done something that someone has done against you. Notice he's kind of done the switcheroo on us here, but he's calling us to a higher standard once again. He says, you don't just need to be aware if you're carrying anger. You now need to pay attention if you're handing rocks to other people for them to carry around towards you. Now, they're responsible for filling their pack up with that. But Jesus says, pay attention. You don't want to be handing people more weight. That's not loving them. So Jesus is saying we have to be aware internally of what's going on, but we also have to be aware of what our relationships externally, how this is playing out. So the first part of the antidote to carried anger is make the first move. That's in your notes, make the first move. That's part one. And he's saying, hey, if you recognize somebody's got something against you, go. It takes priority. You have to make the first move. Don't wait for them to do it. Verse 24, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. When I was just starting out in ministry, I was angry at a few people on my team. They weren't living up to the expectations and standards that we had agreed on, and I had let them know that, that I was disappointed in them. And so I scheduled a time with my boss and my mentor, Dr. Bob. Yes, his real name, Dr. Bob. He did make us call him that. That's what we called him. And I was going to kind of tell Dr. Bob what was going on. And I wanted to do that because I'm, I knew that he would just affirm that I was right. So I vented to Dr. Bob for about 20 minutes about my teammates and why they weren't living up to expectations. And as we got done, he just kind of did this, which was his habit. And he said, Bobby, you know, it seems to me you're more worried about being right than being right in your relationships. Wow. Okay, Dr. Bob. It seems to me that the anger that you're carrying towards them is causing them to carry anger towards you. Dr. Bob was essentially telling me that I was carrying around rocks in my backpack and I'd given some to them and they were carrying them around towards me. I remember being so frustrated when he told me that. I, I mean, I wanted to shout at him and go, I am not carrying any anger. I wanted to punch him in the face, but I knew that would just validate what Dr. Bob was saying. 
I didn't do either. And then Dr. Bob continued, and he gave me the prescription. The reason I share that is sometimes the Holy Spirit will remind you of something you've done. So somebody might be carrying anger against you or anger you're carrying. And sometimes he might do it through another person, like Dr. Bob did for me. Well, Dr. Bob goes and he tells me about the antidote that Jesus prescribes, but he goes into more detail. He says, here's what you're going to do. Bob, or Bobby is what he called me, you're going to go apologize. No excuses, no explaining your position, no asking for an apology from them. Go with the intention of making your relationship right, and then let God take care of the rest. In asking forgiveness, you will show that they are more important than the agenda you have for them. And that might help them unload some of their anger they're carrying towards you. And that's exactly what I did, a little begrudgingly. But it changed everything on our team. The second part of the prescription, the antidote that Jesus gives is time is of the essence in your notes. Verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown in prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus is saying here that holding a grudge or carrying bitterness can, can lead to a life that feels like living in prison. It can take on a life of its own beyond your control. It can ruin relationships and reputations permanently. This is serious business, so Jesus says... Don't delay. Time is of the essence. And notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say when you become aware of this carried anger, go pray about it. Prayer's good. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't say go seek wise counsel. Wise counsel is good, but he doesn't say to do that. He says to go and be reconciled. Try to make things right. Don't delay. And this going, this action-taking, this movement is what is in for 2020. And in for 2020 is perfect love. John the disciple puts it this way in 1 John 4. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. It's a little wordy, but let me unpack it a little. The Greek word for perfect, perfect love drives out all fear, doesn't mean flawless. And that's in your note. Perfect love is not flawless love. The precise meaning is perfect means when an idea goes into action. As soon as an idea you have goes into action, the Greek would say that is perfect. And so what it's saying here is that when you have an idea how to love someone and you put it into action, it begins to become perfect and it begins to do its work of driving out fear. And here's how this plays out and connects to the antidote that Jesus prescribes. The moment we recognize someone has something against us and we go to have that coffee, that conversation, that meal, 
perfect love or love becomes perfect in action. And perfect love begins to do its work. It begins to drive out the fears that other person might have, which is, do I matter to you? Is our friendship still worth pursuing? Am I loved? Is your agenda bigger for me than it is about me? It begins to answer all those questions and drives out fear. Now, their response may not be flawless. It might not go the way that you want. But making the first move will open the door to reconciliation. And then it's up to them when they're ready, when they want to, to step through that door. See, love in action brings a little bit of heaven to earth. And the world can't help but notice it. It shines out. One of the most striking examples I've ever seen of love in action, perfect love doing its work in transforming people in a community was when my wife Rosalind and I, we lived in Annapolis, Maryland. See, every Monday night, we would open up our house, our little house, with a small living room to 25 to 35 high school students and young life leaders that were pursuing teenagers, just like our Timberline student ministry leaders here at the church do every week. And we gathered together to grow in our faith and to grow in our friendships. And the way we did that was by taking a look at the life of Jesus. Now, half the students who came, they grew up in families with some faith background. So when we looked at the Bible, they had some understanding of what was in the Bible. But half of the students there had just come to faith, had just begun the walk with Jesus, and they had no experience with the Bible at all. Well, this one particular Bible study, we were looking at the passage or the account where Jesus heals the leper. Some of you might be familiar with it. Remember it? This is the one where Jesus actually reaches down and touches the leper before he heals him, which was a big taboo in the culture. But he identifies himself with the leper, then he heals him. And we were talking about people in the high school who maybe feel left out or were like outcasts who felt like lepers. The whole Bible study was going so well. It was one of our best ones that we'd ever had. And I was thinking to myself, Bob, you are a really good small group leader. That's right then, it happened right then when I was thinking this, one of the people who was new to their faith, not familiar with the Bible, she was like, oh, Bob, oh my goodness, I, oh, I can't believe it, I get it. And I couldn't wait to hear what she was about to say. Everybody was kind of leaning in and she goes, this is where leprechauns come from. Lepers, leprechauns, get it? I had trouble making the connection right there. And I looked at her and I'm like, are you serious? Are you making a bad joke? You guys, dead serious. The guys to my right are cracking up. They're, guys, we're kind of idiots. Okay, let's just say it, okay? But they're laughing. Everything was out of control. The Bible study was over. It was like, good night, everybody. Grab a cookie on the way out. We're done. I mean, I felt like a failure. On the way home that night, on the drive home, leprechaun girl and her friend, Colleen, they were driving and they were talking about what they'd learned at the failed Bible study that we had together. And they hatched an idea. The next day at lunch at their school, they didn't sit with their usual friends. 
where they always sat, they actually went over and sat with the guy who they had noticed had been for months sitting alone at lunch, and they plopped their trays down next to him. And in that moment, that idea hatched from that study became perfect because they took action. And perfect love began to do its work. It wasn't flawless because as soon as they set their trays down, the kid got, the guy got defensive. He's like, what are you guys doing here? Are you here to make fun of me like everybody else? And they were like, no, no, we saw you sitting here alone. We wanted to have lunch with you. Hi, my name's Colleen. Hi, my name's Leprechaun Girl. <laughs> and, and he said, hi, I'm Brandon. And by the end of lunch, they had invited them to, the, to our Young Life Club in two days on Wednesday night. I will never forget it. Standing there at the suburban home in Annapolis as 100 students rolled up in their cars and about five minutes into this neighborhood. And I looked out and I saw this woman walking with this young man in tow. And I thought to myself, that's got to be Brandon and his mom. The girls saw him, and they were like, Brandon, and they ran down, and they grabbed him, and they began to introduce him to all of their friends and took him into the house. And I found out that it wasn't his mom. It was actually his aunt. I said, hey, I'd be happy to give Brandon a ride home if that would be helpful. She said, that'd be great. Brandon had a great time that night. I took him home, but I've got to be honest with you. Brandon was a little awkward. He had low emotional IQ, or EQ is what we would say today. His passion was WWE wrestling, and on our 15-minute drive home, he told me more about professional wrestling than I could have ever learned in my entire life. He talked for 15 minutes without taking a breath. It was amazing. I've never seen anything like it. Well, I got out of the car. I wanted to thank his aunt for letting him come, and we got there, and she met us at the door, and she said, hey, you've got some homework to finish up. And she said, hey, Bob, I'd like, you to t I'd like to tell you a little bit about Brandon's story. Brandon's mom continues to struggle with addiction. And while she was pregnant with Brandon, she was using. And because of that, Brandon's got some intellectual and some emotional disconnects, some challenges. He's probably operating four or five years behind his grade level and his, his age. I don't know who you guys are, but thank you. And she began to sob. Nobody has ever invited him to anything. And you see, this moment, it's no credit to me. Somehow the Holy Spirit was using a, bi a failed Bible study in lepers and leprechauns Two brand new believers, and he was taking me along for the ride. Brandon called me a couple weeks later. He said, Bob. I'm like, hey, Brandon. He's like, the girls invited me to a football game. What do I do? And I'm like, what do you mean, what do you do? You go watch a football game. He goes, I've never been. I said, hey, I'll pick you up, wear some warm clothes. I'll pay the entryway, bring some money if you want some snacks. And we got in line, and we were walking up to get our tickets to, to pay our money to get in. And there standing there taking the money was a teacher. He was infamous. He was a coach at the school. And this coach was not a fan of anything Jesus or Jesus himself. He certainly wasn't a fan of young life. 
And he went out of his way to make fun and ridicule students who had faith in Jesus. I handed him $10, hoping there wouldn't be some type of conversation, and a strange thing happened. He looked up as he took my $10, and a big smile came to his face. I was like, hi, coach. He goes, hey, Bob. Handed my $10 back. He said, this one's on me. Hey, thanks for all you're doing for students here at the school, and make sure you tell your leaders the same thing. You see, Brandon was a student coach worked with every day in his classroom. He loved Brandon. And he'd seen a change in Brandon as he began to have friends and to hear about Jesus. Perfect love was doing its work. I walked him over to the student section. Bunch of kids were like, Brandon, come on up. We saved you a seat. And he looked at me like, hey, can I, is it okay if I go up there? And I'm like, yeah, man, go on up. And he had this look of pity on his face. He's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, man, go on up. That's why we're here. And he goes on up. And I was standing there with this silly grin on my face, facing the student section at this football game. And I'm like, oh, that was why he was giving me the pity look. Now I'm the guy alone in the school. And I was like, all right, and marched off. Over the next several weeks, our little young life club of 100 swelled to 250 and 300. We had to get parents to come do parking and run security during club out there. A moment at a Bible study turned into a conversation on the way home. The conversation turned into an invitation. And perfect love began to do its work. Students saw that Brandon could be a part of what was going on, this Jesus thing, and they thought to themselves, if he can be a part of it, certainly I can. And hundreds heard about Jesus and came to know him. But you know, this didn't just happen. We met together in my living room for a year and a half before that Bible study. But perfect love went into action that evening, the next day. And it did its work. And whether you're a veteran of the faith, been walking with Jesus for a long time, have a firm grasp of what's in the Bible, Or maybe you're new to faith, mistaking lepers for leprechauns. Or maybe you showed up today with no faith at all. God can use us if we will work his perfect love into our lives. It's not how much we know about the Bible, it's what we do with what we know. And our love may not be flawless, but it becomes perfect when it moves from an idea into action. And John, the disciple, as he says, in this world, we are like Jesus. It lights up the world. Every year at Christmas Eve, I sneak right back here. There's some chairs there, and I kind of hunker down so I'm not a distraction, and I watch as we light the candles. 
And I'll, we're going to look at the video of that, a time lapse of it. But notice how dark it is at the start and how light it is at the end. Let's roll the, the time lapse. It's so good, isn't it? Well, Cameron's dancing right there. You guys, that's so good. Watch it again. Watch how the room lights up. <laughs> That's what happened at Broadneck High School. A couple of lives were lit up as they, became, as they began their faith and journey with Jesus. They didn't know much about him, but they gave as much as they knew about themselves to as much as they knew about Jesus. And it lit up a high school. It lit up the community. And perfect love can light up a city and the world. Don't you want to be a part of something like that? You are a part of something like that. But I sense that God is calling Timberline Church to something higher, to something more in 2020. And he doesn't want to just work in us. He wants us to, to work. He wants to work through us into our community and bring light into dark places. So in 2020, let's take those rocks out of our backpack. Let's get rid of the carried anger. Let's take the step and so we can travel light and we can live out perfect love. He's calling us higher. He's calling us deeper. Will you take the next step? Let's take a moment of reflection and prayer. Maybe God's speaking to you now. Close your eyes, bow your heads for a moment so you're not distracted. Maybe in this moment, Jesus would like to start a movement in your life. For some of us, we've been carrying anger towards others, and maybe we have been living in a way that's given them ammunition to carry anger towards us. We feel like we're living a little boxed in right now, weighed down, and it's time to let go. Maybe it's time to pick up the phone, to invite someone to coffee. You've already had the idea, haven't you? You need to put it into action to open the door to forgiveness and the reconciliation by setting into motion perfect love. If that's you, Jesus, will you give us courage to make the first move? Will you give us courage not to delay anymore? Will you do your work that only you can do? And for some of us, maybe we've been going so hard and fast at life, there's so much in our packs that we haven't made time to get together with a few others on a Monday night. In fact, we're doing faith and life alone. And we need a group of folks to meet with to encourage us in our faith to grow in our friendships as we look at Jesus. If that's you, Jesus, would you provide people, friends to do life and faith with? Would you light up the world through them as they do it together?
And for some of us, the busyness of life has just caused us to not pay attention or give intention to our faith in you, Jesus, our relationship with you. And in 2020, we want to take a step towards you. We hear you right now inviting us into a deeper relationship with you in 2020. So Jesus, we say yes in this moment to you. We want to walk with you in a new way in 2020. We want to make time and space to encounter you. And lastly, for friends of you, friends here that might have come with no faith at all, and you want this perfect love, Jesus invites you now to just say yes to him, to receive him into your life. And a prayer for you would be, Jesus, I now give to you as much as I know of myself to as much as I know about you. Take it and allow me to come along on the adventure. Jesus' work work on our hearts and our minds. We say yes to you, and it's your, in your name we pray. Amen.